Chapter Eight of the Ocean of Theosophy by William Q. Judge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. How man has come to be the complex being that he is and why are questions that neither science nor religion makes conclusive answer to. This immortal thinker having such vast powers and possibilities, all his because of his intimate connection with every secret part of nature from which he has been built up, stands at the top of an immense and silent evolution. He asks why nature exists, what the drama of life has for its aim, how that aim may be attained. But science and religion both fail to give a reasonable reply. Science does not pretend to be able to give the solution, saying that the examination of things as they are is enough of a task. Religion offers an explanation both illogical and unmeaning, and acceptable but to the bigot, as it requires us to consider the whole of nature as a mystery and to seek for the meaning and purpose of life with all its sorrow in the pleasure of a god who cannot be found out. The educated and inquiring mind knows that dogmatic religion can only give an answer invented by man while it pretends to be from God. What, then, is the universe for? And for what final purpose is man the immortal thinker here in evolution? It is all for the experience and emancipation of the soul, for the purpose of raising the entire mass of manifested matter up to the stature, nature, and dignity of conscious godhood. The great aim is to reach self-consciousness, not through a race, or a tribe, or some favored nation, but by through the perfecting after transformation of the whole mass of matter, as well as what we now call soul nothing is or is to be left out the aim for present man is his initiation into complete knowledge and for the other kingdoms below him that they may be raised up gradually from stage to stage to be in time initiated also this evolution carried to its highest power it is a magnificent prospect it makes of man a god and gives to every part of nature the possibility of being one day the same there is strength and nobility in it. For by this no man is dwarfed and belittled. For no one is so originally sinful that he cannot rise above all sin. Treated from the materialistic position of science, evolution takes in but half of life, while the religious conception of it is a mixture of nonsense and fear. Present religions keep the element of fear, and at the same time imagine that an almighty being can think of no other earth but this, and has to govern this one very imperfectly. But the old theosophical view makes the universe a vast, complete, and perfect whole. Now the moment we postulate a double evolution, physical and spiritual, we have at the same time to admit that it can only be carried on by reincarnation. This is, in fact, demonstrated by science. It is shown that the matter of the earth, and of all things physical upon it, was at one time either gaseous or molten, that it cooled, that it altered, that from its alterations and evolutions at last were produced all the great variety of things and beings. This, on the physical plane, is transformation or change from one form to another. The total mass of matter is about the same as in the beginning of this globe, with a very minute allowance for some stardust. Hence it must have been changed over and over again, and thus been physically reformed and re-embodied. Of course, to be strictly accurate, 
we cannot use the word reincarnation because incarnate refers to flesh let us say re-embodied and then we see that both for matter and for man there has been a constant change of form and this is broadly speaking reincarnation as to the whole mass of matter the doctrine is that it will all be raised to man's estate when man has gone further on himself there is no residuum left after man's final salvation which in a mysterious way is to be disposed of or done away with in some remote dust heap of nature the true doctrine allows for nothing like that and at the same time is not afraid to give the true disposition of what would seem to be a residuum it is all worked up into other states for as the philosophy declares there is no inorganic matter whatever but that every atom is alive and has the germ of self-consciousness it must follow that one day it will all have been changed thus what is now called human flesh is so much matter that one day was wholly mineral later on vegetable and now refined into human atoms at a point of time very far from now the present vegetable matter will have been raised to the animal stage and what we now use as our organic or fleshy matter will have changed by transformation through evolution into self-conscious thinkers and so on up the whole scale until the time shall come when what was now known as mineral matter will have passed on to the human stage and out into that of thinker then at the coming on of another great period of evolution the mineral matter of that time will be some which is now passing through its lower transformations on other planets and in other systems of worlds this is perhaps a fanciful scheme for the men of the present day who are so accustomed to being called bad sinful weak and utterly foolish from their birth that they fear to believe the truth about themselves but for the disciples of the ancient theosophists it is not impossible or fanciful but is logical and vast and no doubt it will one day be admitted by everyone when the mind of the western race is broken away from the mosaic chronology and mosaic ideas of man and nature therefore as to reincarnation and metempsychosis we say they are first to be applied to the whole cosmos and not alone to man but as man is the most interesting object to himself we will consider in detail its application to him this is the most ancient of doctrines and is believed in now by more human minds than the number of those who do not hold it the millions in the east almost all accept it it was taught by the greeks a large number of the chinese now believe it as their forefathers did before them the jews thought it was true and it has not disappeared from their religion and jesus who was called the founder of christianity also believed and taught it in the early christian church it was known and taught and the very best of the fathers of the church believed and promulgated it christians should remember that jesus was a jew who thought his mission was to jews for he says in saint matthew i am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of israel he must have well known the doctrines held by them they all believed in reincarnation for them moses adam noah seth and others had returned to earth and at the time of jesus it was currently believed that the old prophet elias was yet to return so we find first that jesus never denied the doctrine and on various occasions assented to it as when he said that john the baptist was actually elias of old whom the people were expecting 
all this can be seen by consulting st matthew in chapters twenty seven eleven and others in these it is very clear that jesus is shown as approving the doctrine of reincarnation and following jesus we find st paul in romans nine speaking of esau and jacob being actually in existence before they were born and later such great christian fathers as origen sinicius and others believing and teaching the theory in proverbs eight twenty two we have solomon saying that when the earth was made he was present and that long before he could have been born as solomon his delights were in the habitable parts of earth with the sons of men st john the revelator says in revelations three verse twelve he was told in a vision which refers to the voice of god or the voice of one speaking for god that whosoever should overcome would not be under the necessity of going out any more and that is would not need to be reincarnated for five hundred years after jesus the doctrine was taught in the church until the council of constantinople then a condemnation was passed upon a phase of the question which has been regarded by many as against reincarnation but if that condemnation goes against the words of jesus it is of no effect it does not go against him and thus the church is in the position of saying in effect that jesus did not know enough to curse as it did a doctrine known and taught in his day and which was brought to his notice prominently and never condemned but in fact approved by him christianity is a jewish religion and its doctrine of reincarnation belongs to it historically by succession from the jews and also by reason of its having been taught by jesus and the early fathers of the church if there be any truthful or logical way for the christian church to get out of this position excluding of course dogmas of the church the theosophist would like to be shown it indeed the theosophist holds that whenever a professed christian denies the theory he thereby sets up his judgment against that of jesus who must have known more about the matter than those who follow him it is the anathema hurled by the church council and the absence of the doctrine from the teaching now that have damaged christianity and made of all the christian nations people who pretend to be followers of jesus and the law of love but who really as nations are followers of the mosaic law of retaliation for alone in reincarnation is the answer to all the problems of life and in it and karma is the force that will make men pursue in fact the ethics they have in theory it is the aim of the old philosophy to restore this doctrine to whatsoever religion has lost it and hence we call it the lost chord of christianity but who or what is it that reincarnates it is not the body for that dies and disintegrates and but few of us would like to be chained forever to such bodies as we now have admitted to be infected with disease except in the case of the savage it is not the astral body for as shown that also has its term and must go to pieces after the physical has gone nor is it the passions and desires they to be sure have a very long term because they have the power to reproduce themselves in each life so long as we do not eradicate them and reincarnation provides for that since we are given by it many opportunities of slowly one by one killing off the desires and passions which mar the heavenly picture of the spiritual man it has been shown how the passional part of us coalesces with the astral after death 
and makes a seeming being that has a short life to live while it is disintegrating when the separation is complete between the body that has died and the astral body and the passions and desires life having begun to busy itself with other forms the higher triad manas booty and atma who are the real man immediately go into another state and when that state which is called devachan or heaven is over they are attracted back to earth for reincarnation they are the immortal part of us they in fact and no other are we this should be firmly grasped by the mind for upon its clear understanding depends the comprehension of the entire doctrine what stands in the way of the modern western man seeing this clearly is the long training we have all had in materialistic science and materializing religion both of which have made the mere physical body too prominent the one has taught of matter alone and the other has preached the resurrection of the body a doctrine against common sense in fact logic and testimony but there is no doubt that the theory of bodily resurrection has risen from corruption of the older and true teaching resurrection is founded on what job says about seeing his redeemer in his flesh and on st paul's remark that the body was raised incorruptible but job was an egyptian who spoke of seeing his teacher or initiator who was the redeemer and jesus and paul referred to the spiritual body only although reincarnation is the law of nature the complete trinity of atma buddhimanas does not yet fully incarnate in this race they use and occupy the body by means of the entrance of manas the lowest of the three and the other two shine upon it from above constituting the god in heaven this was symbolized in the old jewish teaching about heavenly man who stands with his head in heaven and his feet in hell that is the head atma and booty are yet in heaven and the feet manas walk in hell which is the body and physical life for that reason man is not yet fully conscious and reincarnations are needed to at last complete the incarnation of the whole trinity in the body when that has been accomplished the race will have become as gods and the godlike trinity being in full possession of the entire mass of matter will be perfected and raised up for the next step this is the real meaning of the word made flesh it was so grand a thing in the case of any single person such as jesus or buddha as to be looked upon as a divine incarnation and out of this too comes the idea of crucifixion for manas is thus crucified for the purpose of raising up the thief to paradise it is because the trinity is not yet incarnate in the race that life has so many mysteries some of which are showing themselves from day to day in all the various experiments made on and in man the physician knows not what life is nor why the body moves as it does because the spiritual portion is yet enshrouded in the clouds of heaven the scientist is wandering in the dark confounded and confused by all that hypnotism and other strange things bring before him because the conscious man is out of sight on the very top of the divine mountain thus compelling the learned to speak of the subconscious mind the latent personality and the like and the priest can give us no light at all because he denies man's godlike nature reduces all to the level of original sin 
and puts upon our conception of god the black mark of inability to control or manage the creation without invention of expedients to cure supposed errors but this old truth solves the riddle and paints god and nature in harmonious colors reincarnation does not mean that we go into animal forms after death as is believed by some eastern peoples once a man always a man is the saying in the great lodge but it would not be too much punishment for some men were it possible to condemn them to rebirth in brute bodies however nature does not go by sentiment but by law and we not being able to see it all cannot say that the brutal man is brute all through his nature and evolution having brought manus the thinker and immortal person to this plane cannot send him back to the brute which has not manus by looking into two explanations for the literal acceptation of some people in the east of those laws of manu which seem to teach the transmigrating into brutes insects and so on we can see how the true student of this doctrine will not fall into the same error the first is that the various verses and books teaching such transmigration have to do with the actual method of reincarnation that is with the explanation of the actual physical processes which have to be undergone by the ego in passing from the unembodied to the embodied state and also with the roads ways or means of descent from the invisible to the visible plane this has not yet been plainly explained in theosophical books because on the one hand it is a delicate matter and on the other the details would not as yet be received even by theosophists with credence although one day they will be and as these details are not found of the greatest importance they are not now expounded but as we know that no human body is formed without the union of the sexes and that the germs of production are locked up in the sexes and must come from food which is taken into the body it is obvious that foods have something to do with the reincarnating of the ego now if the road to reincarnation leads through certain foods and none other it may be possible that if the ego gets entangled in food which will not lead to the germ of physical reproduction a punishment is indicated where manu says that such and such practices will lead to transmigration which is then a hindrance i throw this out so far for the benefit of certain theosophists who read these and whose own theories on this subject are now rather vague and in some instances based on quite other hypotheses the second explanation is that inasmuch as nature intends us to use the matter which comes into our body and astral body for the purpose among others of benefiting the matter by the impress it gets from association with the human ego if we use it so as to give it only a brutal impression it must fly back to the animal kingdom to be absorbed there instead of being refined and kept on the human plane and as all the matter which the human ego gathered to it retains the stamp or photographic impression of the human being the matter transmigrates to the lower level when given an animal impress by the ego this actual fact in the great chemical laboratory of nature could easily be misconstrued by the ignorant but the present-day students know that once manas the thinker has arrived on the scene he does not return to baser forms first because he does not wish to and second because he cannot 
for just as the blood in the body is prevented by valves from rushing back and engorging the heart so in this greater system of universal circulation the door is shut behind the thinker and prevents his retrocession reincarnation as a doctrine applying to the real man does not teach transmigration into kingdoms of nature below the human End of chapter 8